0: Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote unquote summer body as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months, when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury-free, and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open, and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong. Or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today.
1: Welcome, everybody, uh, to Women Specific Heat and Nutrition. Uh, This is uh, our second podcast in our webinar series presented in collaboration with the VinFest Ironman World Championship. Tune in as the women take on Kailua Kona next weekend, October 14th. And for more information on Ironman and Ironman 70.3, follow Women for Try on Instagram. And don't worry if you're going to miss part of this or if you're coming in late, All of this uh, webinar will be on the Feisty Triathlon podcast feed tomorrow. So you can just like re-listen to all the amazing information.
2: Re-listen. Yeah. To the amazing information. (laughs) Or just repeat it. I know. Or just repeat it. Um, Kelly, you did well remembering all of that. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Um, yeah, here at Feisty Media, we're super excited about this partnership with the VinFast Ironman World Championships because um, we're we're excited about everything that we see happening in women's sports um, and in particular in women's performance as well. And we know that there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of research happening right now and we know there's a lot more information for uh, women athletes in particular uh, to learn more about how we get the best out of our bodies. So we're super excited to be part of like, The wave. We call it the wave of of women's sports. Uh, It's not a moment. It's a movement.
1: That's right. (laughs) Something like that. Something like that. (laughs) And so today for number two um, in our buildup to the Ironman World Chance in Kona, we are doing women-specific heat nutrition concerns. Now, if you're not racing in Kona, don't worry. This will still apply to your other hot, humid races. But of course, yeah. we know everyone racing in Kona is a big concern. And so we're going to bring on your expert host for today, yes. Celine Yeager. Celine Yeager. Woo! Hello.
2: <laughs> so for those who don't know, hi, Celine. Hi. Hi, For those who don't know, Celine is the host of the very wildly popular <laughs> hit Play Not Pause podcast, and she has helped thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of women um, work with their own physiology to perform in the ways that they want to be active. Um, so we thought she was the perfect host. Also, she's um she's a secret science geek. like you wouldn't find this on her bios. <laughs> is that accurate, Celine? And it's not a secret, but (laughs) I feel like it's secret because, like, when I go and look at your up your bio somewhere, like, I don't see that. I want to see like science geek is like Uh, a bullet point, you know. I'll I'll change that for you. (laughs) Um, so we thought that she would be the perfect person to host this panel. So welcome, Celine. Thank you. Um, so now, Celine, I think,
3: yeah, go ahead, take it away. I'm going to take it away. All right. (laughs) So I am very happy to be here and to introduce. I have an amazing amazing panel lined up for everybody tonight. Um, we all know or anybody who's been there knows that that competing and trying to perform your best in the heat is a huge challenge. I mean you have digestion issues, you have thermal regulation issues, you have special female issues and like I brought together a panel to sort of elucidate all of this for you and I'm really stoked to introduce them to them to you so I will do that right now. We have Dr. Natalie Kirby. And Natalie obtained her PhD, hello Natalie, in exercise physiology from the University of Birmingham in the UK, where she was named a Canadian Centennial Scholar for her work in heat acclimation very apropos. Uh, and women's performance, she also has completed postdoctoral fellowship studying thermoregulation in special populations, how menstrual cycle and hormonal contraceptives affect the ability to thermoregulate, and women's cardiovascular health at the University of Ottawa and Penn State University. And on the athletic side, she's played soccer and volleyball at in undergrad and also was a power lifter. So welcome, Natalie. And then we have... Thanks. Um, Marnie Sambal, who has very recently trained me for a 70.3, which uh, I was very stoked to complete this summer. And Marnie is a board-certified sport dietitian, holding a Master of Science in Exercise Physiology. She's the owner of Try Marnie Coaching and Nutrition, where she specializes in long-distance athletes. Marnie is the author of Three books, including Essential Sports Nutrition. Marnie is a 19-time Ironman finisher and has raced at the Ironman World Championship six times. She has recently ventured into off-road mountain biking, gravel, and Xterra Triathlon. And I hear he she just dropped off with some problems, but she'll be right back. And we have Dina Griffin. Dina is a sports performance dietitian, registered dietitian, and owner of the Nutrition Mechanic private practice based in Boulder, Colorado. She works with all levels of adult endurance athletes to support improved health, vitality, and athletic performance. And she specializes in women's health, peri and post-menopause, endurance, and ultra-athletes and metabolic conditions. Thanks, Dina. And last but not least, we have Lauren Antonucci. Lauren is the owner, director of Nutrition Energy, and combines her experience as a clinical nutritionist, certified diabetes educator, certified sports dietitian, and athlete to, the, to lead the Nutrition Energy team. She is an avid runner and triathlete, and she has completed 13 marathons, including New York and Boston, and numerous triathlons, including Ironman USA, Lake Placid, Utah, Wisconsin, and she is the author of High Performance Nutrition for Masters Athletes. Stoked that you are all here. You guys, it is going to be a great panel. All right, I'm going to start. I have a couple of questions for each of you, and feel free to sort of chime in on each other's questions if you have something to mm-hmm. to say. And then we'll open it up for the floor. And we'll start because it seems to make the most sense. We'll start with you, Natalie. Um, I know we could do a whole show on this, but let's just sort of tee it up. If you could give some of the highlights in some of the unique ways that women are impacted by heat when it comes to performance, and you know where maybe where the menstrual cycle fits into that piece as well. Thanks for being here.
4: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Celine. Um yeah, you basically gave a pretty good overview of the challenge of um performing in the heat. Like you said, you have um things like the temperature, you have the humidity, you have the digestive the possible digestive issues. Um your heart rate's going to be higher your body's going to feel hot. Um, It might be a little bit harder to um, keep motivated, keep uh, at the pace that you want to be at. Um, So there's lots of different challenges um, for anyone exercising in the heat. There are a couple of uh, sex differences when it comes to how men and women respond uh, to exercising and trying to perform in the heat. Um, The main one when it comes to thermoregulation is going to be how Um, we lose heat from our bodies. So your muscles are producing that heat because you're exercising um, and you need to get rid of it. And the way that we get rid of heat are through two main physiological mechanisms. Um, The first one being sweating. And um, that's kind of the main way that we lose heat through evaporation. But we also have uh, skin blood flow delivering that heat from our hot muscles that are producing it to the skin um, for it to be dissipated there and for the heat to um, be evaporated through sweat. Um, So men do tend to sweat a little bit more than women, especially at higher intensities, higher body temperatures. So that's going to be um, important for things uh, like an Ironman where you're going to be sweating um, for a prolonged period of time, your body is going to be very hot. Um, So we might see that sex difference kind of exacerbated Uh, in those more intense or longer duration um, kind of performance events. Uh, Whereas women tend to have a little bit higher skin blood flow. That's um, because our hormone levels um, kind of lend themselves to uh, higher skin blood flow. Estrogen in particular um, is a vasodilator. That means that it makes our blood vessels dilate, span. Um, So uh, skin blood flow does tend to be a little bit higher. However, these differences are pretty minor um, in terms of how it actually translates to uh, our ability to thermoregulate, um, especially in really high level athletes that are gonna be uh, participating at the Ironman World Championships. You also have another factor that uh, plays into these sex differences, um, and that's body size. Now, men do typically tend to be larger. That means that they have more of that muscle mass that's producing the heat, they also have more mass to move, um, but then they also, have, or but then you have your body surface area, and again, that's where you're losing heat from. So the ratio of that um, mass to body surface area is also going to play a factor, and that kind of underlies a lot of the sex differences that we tend to see. A lot of it is really uh, due to size
3: as well. Oh, interesting. Just one follow up on the hormonal piece: is there a um, significant difference that women should know about premenstrually like if they are having if, if they're going into PMS you know or like right as the day is coming is that is that a concern is like the fluids kind of shift and you have that bloating i mean is is that impacting the hydration piece at all
4: um i will leave the hydration stuff to marnie but what i was going oh, to touch on is that um the big thing with menstrual cycle is that firstly most of what we know about performing in the heat and um, performing across the menstrual cycle is from subelite athletes or yeah. recreational athletes. Um, the effects of menstrual cycle in general are probably even less in the higher trained women. Whether that's just because they're kind of um, used to performing under different stressors, yeah. um, or whether it's because uh, highly trained women tend to have slightly lower hormone levels, so with lower fluctuations, you get low- less differences. Um, but the big Thing here is that everyone is different.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: women experience their menstrual cycles completely differently. They um, treat uh, PMS symptoms completely differently. Um, so the biggest thing going into a big sporting event like this is trying to track in advance, understanding how your menstrual cycle affects you, understanding when you feel um, good, when you tend to feel a little bit more tired, and really listening to your body, understanding that, oh, if you tend to um feel like you really need a lot of sleep leading up to uh, or leading up to your period or near the end of your cycle um give your body that sleep it's going to be helpful don't ignore what your body needs don't ignore these fluctuations Um, but the other side of it is we don't necessarily have to frame fluctuations due to menstrual cycle as a negative thing Mm we can kind of uh, take the mindset of knowledge is power. If you are tracking, um, if you are aware, you know what kind of things work for you, you know how you're going to feel, you're able to anticipate that on race day. And you can um, adjust accordingly and feel confident doing that. Um, and like I said, people experience, their, between women experience their cycles completely differently. Also, leading up to a big race, you might have changes in body weight or stress or flying to Hawaii, yeah.
5: um,
4: and all of those things um, are going to play a role. So the um, best thing you can do is just really knowing in advance um, and doing your best because that cycle that you're experiencing around a big event still might not be um, exactly what you've had leading up to it. Right. Um, so yeah, just
3: Thank yeah. Thanks for that, and and we'll. Circle back to you with some uh, heat acclimation a little later in the conversation. So, sure. all of that said, Marnie, let's segue to you and talk hydration because it seems like sure. the perfect place to start. Um, how do you counsel your athletes regarding fluid intake for something that is long and hot and like Kona?
6: Yeah. Well, I don't want to throw anybody off what they had planned to do. You know, <laughs> right. You don't want to change anything right before a race. But I think that. I really want to just spend a moment talking about sodium, because I feel like when athletes think about a hot race, they think about Kona, there's a big concern about dehydration, cramping, headaches, nausea, you know, everything that comes from doing an Ironman and then doing an Ironman in extreme conditions. And there's such an overwhelming obsession over sodium. And sodium is so important as an electrolyte. And we do lose it in our sweat, but we can't forget that we lose fluids and sodium is with those fluids. So you're not going to just become sodium depleted and we don't need to just focus on the sodium because what can end up happening is that you can overdo it with the sodium and end up making things worse, that situation that you are trying to treat. So what I want to mention with fluid in, and I mean, everything I just heard was fantastic with the hormones and I've raced with my period. I've had other athletes race with their period. You just have to know your body the best, but I would say in general, regarding your fluid intake, you need to think about the combination of fluids, carbohydrates, and sodium. This formulation is going to allow whatever you're taking to be properly digested, absorbed. And as we know, in the heat, our gut slows down, gastric emptying slows down, Um, more blood goes to the working muscles and the skin for evaporation, and less goes to the organs where we need to digest and, and break down what we're taking in. So keep things very simple with your sports nutrition. Fluids are extremely important, but I find that a lot of athletes go to Kona and they realize, oh my gosh, I need a lot more fluid than I've been doing. But if you haven't trained your gut, that's going to also lead to problems. So try not to overdo it with the sodium the fluid, the carbohydrates, keep things simple, keep things in a good formulation so that whatever you're taking in is very easy to digest, very easy to absorb, but also that you can consume it frequently throughout the whole race. So as a general guideline on the bike, I suggest somewhere between 24 and 28 ounces of fluid per hour. Some athletes are going to need more, but again, if you're going to take in more fluid, you need to have trained yourself so that your body knows that it can take in those extra few ounces. Uh, carbohydrates, most athletes are going to be, especially these days, between 50 grams and 90 grams of carbs per hour. When we get over the 60 grams uh, per hour, we're gonna you it's best to use multiple types of carbohydrates because that helps with transporters and digestion. And then as far as electrolytes go Everybody is different with their sodium losses, but it's generally going to be somewhere between 400, a thousand milligrams. Some athletes are going to be more, but that's a good range. Now within that on the bike, now you need to just make sure that what you're doing is done in small amounts, frequently throughout each hour. As far as the run goes, It's a lot harder to take in nutrition and digest it on the run, especially when we're a little bit more dehydrated, glycogen depleted. We know that as we get more dehydrated, we use carbohydrates a lot faster. So on the run, I like to break it down into 30 minute intervals because it's just a lot easier to process somewhere between 10 to 12 ounces of fluid, somewhere between 25, 30 grams of carbs and about 250, 500 milligrams of sodium. Again, that higher range is going to be for those very um, excessive sweaters and that know that they lose a lot of sodium. Um, So just think about your hydration and your fueling strategy that you have practiced in training. Think about how you can keep it simple because simple can help with better execution, especially when you get tired.
3: What if you have people that are coming in who have not been in as hot of conditions so they feel that they do need to drink more than they have traditionally drank?
6: We don't want to overdo it. So generally what I advise for athletes is to think about a few ounces more. So let's say you have your normal fueling strategy, you're planning, let's say you have a normal sport bottle, 26 ounces, um, Whatever your fueling strategy is, whether it's electrolytes in the bottle and solid food or a sports drink, whatever you have planned, there are numerous aid stations along the course in Kona, and you can grab water at every aid station. So you can get in those additional four, six, eight ounces spread out over that hour just by taking in a little additional water. What we don't want to end up happening is that you end up just consuming water um, throughout the race. So keep with what you have been practicing with your sports nutrition strategy. And then if you can take in just a little bit more fluid, that will help with your uh, fluid
4: needs and sweat loss.
3: Excellent. Does anyone have something to add to that if they have thoughts? It's okay. Um, just know.
4: that there is a slight shift towards um, carbohydrate metabolism in the heat um so when you're uh trying to sort out your um nutrition plan uh having a day where you you do your long run or, or something where it is hot or where um even you're kind of overdressing uh understanding kind of that muscle fatigue and how you feel and if you might need a little bit more um carbohydrates because you do tend to um kind of lose your glycogen a little bit sooner in the heat mm-hmm. the only thing i would add to that is we can't just take
6: in more carbohydrates as right. um, we have to make sure that our gut can tolerate them. So it's it's a careful balance. I usually advise athletes less is best because athletes tend to underfuel in training and overfuel on race day. So think about <laughs> trying And they've done
3: that a lot of times. Yeah,
6: yeah. So athlete, I mean, you're on the biggest stage, you don't want to run out of energy and athletes will often take in a lot more. So it's finding that right balance of, you know, energy out? What am I trying to expend? You know, how am I pacing this? And how can I fuel this effort?
3: And so taking that carbohydrate in, hard. in a, in a sort of a drip fashion, right? Not yes. taking, yeah, like a steady state of carbohydrates, as opposed to trying to stuff it down, yes. especially in the heat, I imagine. Yeah.
7: The other thing I see with the problem um, with a lot of athletes is that we we have to and we were talking about being science geeks before but i think everyone that wants to do an ironman even if you didn't think you wanted to be you have to be a little tiny bit of a science geek because if you don't understand what's going on with your gut what's happening you're likely to make a mistake that may cost you a lot of time or distress and make your day go not so well so just to think that and not to go too deep into the science but When we look at nutrition plans and we design them for people, we're looking at both the amount of sodium someone takes in and the amount of carbohydrate within a certain amount of time and within a certain amount of fluid. So as you both have been saying, we really want to be careful that you have a plan, that you've practiced it, that it makes sense that you stick to it. And if you're varying from that plan, which I've done an Ironman, it started at 50 degrees, it was 89, middle of the bike, I was like, I think it's really hot. And so you have to Make a good decision and adjust, but also know that you can't just up everything. So, you can't just say, you know, kind of like Marnie was saying, you can't up the fluid too much, but you want to be really careful if you're upping the salt because it's hot and the carbs because it's hot. Um, If you have to up one, you may have to decrease the other so that you're not just putting too many things all the little particles of salt and the carbohydrates into your gut at the same time. I always say, like, we know everyone going into an event like this, you are well-trained, you are motivated, and now the gut is in control. So you're going to do smart pacing, you're going to listen to your body over the course of the day, and we got to keep our gut happy because way too many stories end up with, I was doing fine until, and then something about having to do with digesting or not digesting. So just make really careful decisions. We can go through that um,
3: Does anybody have recommendations for when gut rot does set in? Like say somebody has kind of botched it and they have taken in too many car, you know, whatever that is. Like what that, I mean, everybody has had that sensation. Or maybe if you've always gotten it perfectly, you haven't. But that sensation of like, I need calories, but nothing, I can't get anything in at this point. It's like nothing wants to stay down and you're just, it's a terrible place to be. Is there any coming back from that?
6: I and I think it's a lot easier. So we can't come back from dehydration. We can't come back from heat exhaustion. So we never want to get to that place. So that's where pacing, knowing your body, listening to your body, having a good fueling and hydration plan is, is critical. You can you can salvage you know GI issues. Uh, it may not be the best performance, but you will probably still be able to get to the finish line. You'll just have a really great story to, to share with your <laughs> friends if you want to share it. Um, what I like to tell athletes is, you know, the Ironman is all about troubleshooting. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's so much more mental than physical because you're just constantly having to think all day. Just like Lauren said, you're just having to read your body and understand your body throughout the entire race. And so your brain is working the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I like to Encourage athletes to troubleshoot and go back 20 minutes, go back 30 minutes, think back to what maybe you did or you didn't do. You know, you might think back a few hours and say, Well, gosh, when I was descending from Javi, it was windy and I didn't drink anything. Or uh, I was so hungry when I got into T2, I ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I was just starving. And sometimes when you can think back, to what you did or you didn't do, that can help you make those decisions of how to correct a situation. So if you feel like you just have a lot of stuff in your gut, you'll need to slow down. You'll probably want to stop, maybe try to go to the bathroom, but you might need to take in a little bit of just plain water just to help um, dilute the contents. If you find that you're just super nauseous and you you just realize that, oh my gosh, all I've been drinking is water and I haven't had any carbohydrates, you know, nurse those carbohydrates, whatever is appealing and whatever you feel you can tolerate from experience or just making those decisions, try to take in small amounts over the next 10, 15 minutes, you know, just a little at a time to see if you can get yourself back to a good place. So I think troubleshooting, you know, the more experience you have, the the easier that is. But troubleshooting can often help you fix whatever problem you're dealing with.
3: Great advice. Yeah.
7: 100%. I usually try to do if we can a kind of a troubleshooting session with clients before like, Okay, if you feel this, what do you do? If you yeah. feel this, what do you do? It's like a quiz, but in a fun way, because I'm always I'm, like, I'm not going to be on your back on the bike. You don't want me on your back on the bike. But I, we'll be asking those questions together. So I think that's great advice. Just thinking, is there something that was on my plan that I missed?
5: Yeah. Or
7: like you said before, people, athletes, Marnie, tend to just take in too much. Wait a minute, what did I take too much of? Right? What did I, I dumped out my whole special needs bag and I ate four things from it. Okay. Whoops! I didn't mean to. Okay, we're gonna back off. Or I drop my salt. I've done races where you know the bottles go flying. Or I've had people you know the salt tabs. They put them in a funny place and they get disintegrated. They dissolve. You're like, okay, didn't have any salt. Number one goal. What's what's salty? Right? Anywhere. Find the salty thing. So, um, yeah. Don't don't tune out. Don't tune out while you're uh, riding and running.
3: What do you got, Dana?
5: I was just going to add, yeah, because everything is perfect here in this discussion, but just having uh, extra nutrition available in case something you figure out, oh, I'm, I'm kind of burned out on that, or I did take too much of that particular, whatever it is, flavor or um, particular fluid, being able to pivot to something else, but you got to have it with you or accessible. So just having that kind of plan D or plan (laughs) (laughs) WTH, you know, ready to go. So you can kind of navigate that.
7: And you know what? And now that Dina said that anybody listening who feels like there's a product they've been taking in that they've been struggling to swallow or chew, switch it now. Like we don't Mm want to switch it race morning. You don't want to switch it in the middle. If you're like, I'm really sick of that flavor goo. It's been so hard to get in on my long rides. Okay, switch it or whatever the thing is not working. I'm trying to use this product, it's not working. Um, Really give it some good thought if you have someone you're working with or run it by someone, make good decisions now because we hate hearing those stories afterwards. Yeah, it wasn't really working in my training and then I did it on race day and probably not going to go better. So um, you're here, Now, now make those good decisions.
3: All right Lauren while we have you um are there you know you wrote in your book that it's hydration can be a moving target for masters athletes and I'm mm-hmm. wondering if you can speak a little bit to that population you know that you're looking at sure. people and there's you know quite a few of them on the island
7: as there should be yep. um, <laughs> yeah that's awesome um yes I think hydration if we think of it as a moving target again I think it goes back to what we've all been saying is don't have one nutrition plan and then you stick to it and everything is the same for the rest of your life or even for a season or even for the whole day because things change it's windy here i'm going up a hill there uh, you know whatever's happening um so we want to think of variations in sweat rate as marnie was saying right there's a wide variation um in sweat rate and sodium concentration so really making sure going in People have a good understanding of what their their baseline is at this point. I know my last sweat test had been years ago, so I I got some new information this year because I felt like I was sweating more. I just turned forty nine; it's key time for me. I've been listening to your podcast for a while, Celine, and appreciate it all. Um, so there are some other concerns that we need to think about: um, temperature regulation. So we're not carrying ice packs and things on the bike and on the run, but anything you can do to keep your body cooler. Um, if those things are offered, I would definitely take advantage of them. Anything you can do to keep your body cooler will help with that. And then the biggest things with master's athletes is we have less total body water as we age. I need a new way of phrasing it. Master's and beyond, whatever that means. Um, our kidneys also, as was mentioned before, um, we're already not processing fluids the same way because as we're exercising, the heat dissipation becomes primary focus, um, and that's the body's main concern. Our thirst reflex gets blunted, um, if we wanna say, menopausal, post-menopausal, um, and we're not excreting um, urine the same way we did before. So all of these things just to say, if we had any doubt before that drinking to thirst is not really a great plan for an event mm. like an Ironman, um, we have even more reason to back it up and things you can watch out for just on the flip side. Most people doing this race probably are using, and if you're not go out there, be free, have fun, use no data. But a lot of people are using data like heart rate measurements and all kinds of things. And we can use those to our advantage. So if you see your heart rate starts to shoot up and you're not going up, a very steep incline at that moment, we wanna start thinking, oh, am I starting to get dehydrated, right? If you're feeling like I'm going on the flat, why is, my, why is this feeling harder all of a sudden? Signs of dehydration. So it's a moving target for many reasons um, in terms of how we think about fueling and what our body is doing, and then also in terms of how much we might be sweating. So we might be sweating more and our sodium concentration of sweat may change, So I think, and as Marnie said before, the physiological range, if you Googled how much does an athlete sweat and you saw the average athlete sweats anywhere between, you know, whatever, half a liter and a liter and a half an hour, that's not helpful. And then like how much sodium is in a liter of sweat? Well, 300 milligrams to 1500 milligrams per liter, also not. Um, So I think really knowing yourself most of the time, I think you would probably both agree when I when we talk to people, you kind of know, I always say, hey, most of us athletes, we sweat a lot. Our bodies are good at cooling. If you really think you don't sweat and you could jump off your bike or do a race and jump straight onto a Zoom meeting with your most important boss client person, and they wouldn't be like, why are you all sweaty and what did you just do? Um, Maybe you have a really low sweat rate. If you're the person who comes home and rings out your clothing, you know you have a high sweat rate. Um, and then really starting to think about how much sodium you might have caked on if you've had any history of muscle cramping or headaches and other things during a race. We don't want anybody to change their whole nutrition plan at this point, but it is okay to tweak something with really good reason because you have some experience and say, you know, I have been getting headaches towards the end of my ride, or I have been feeling like I'm sweating more this year than I have been in the past and tweaking that. Um, So there are a lot of things that go into it.
3: And having a plan. I keep hearing having a plan is a good idea, especially, and, you know, having raced Kona and there's helicopters and it's exciting and there's stuff going Mm -hmm. on and there's people, it's very, very, very easy to just like forget your plan. (laughs) Like it's really easy. So it is really important to have that sort of dedicated somewhere, whether it's on your top tube or Mm -hmm. whatever, like so you have it, and you stay alarms on your garment. I mean, everybody has all these little tricks, right. right? To to remind them it's time to drink something. It's time to have a little carbohydrate. Um,
7: I also like to use... Okay. Um, I'm really bad at directions, running, biking, roads, street signs, all those things don't help me, but landmarks really help me. So... There's, you can like preview the bike course and you can look if you haven't done the race before, get yourself acquainted with some big landmarks. You're pretty sure you'll see and make those time to check in. How am I feeling? How's yeah. my fluid? How's my hydration? Are my bottles full? Uh-oh, not supposed to be full. Are they empty? So like give yourself a few, like New York City Marathon. I use the bridge. It's super easy. I do that one all the time. It's an easy one. Yeah. Um, so pick some landmarks and make those check-in points. Or you could use every twenty-five miles, right? Just yeah, give yourself some very dedicated points. Like, let me check in.
3: That's a great idea. So, what can people be doing? And Dina, I was going to direct this at you. Like, we're, you know, like we're. It's right around the corner now. Like, what should people be doing in the week leading up to like an event like this in the hot week? You know, like we. I would think it's it's useful to prep the body over time and not just be like, I'm just going to make sure that, you know, the night before I'm drinking a ton of whatever. And that and people do that. They start salting everything and they start drinking a ton of stuff. So what do, what do you think ahead of time?
5: Yeah, it's great because we've been talking a lot about race day, you know. And so sometimes we're forgetting all the days leading up and then – it's kind of a um, chaos moment (laughs) when we're, when we're in the thick of it. So I think it is important, just like we were saying, having a plan for race day, backup plan and plan C, I think is uh, also thinking about your plan for what you're doing in the days in advance. Um, And I haven't done Kona, but I've been a Sherpa there a few times for other athletes. So like it can be as nerdy as scheduling. Like these are the blocks of time that I get to plan my meals, or I'm eating out, or my support person is helping me make the food. Just thinking about these things in advance, because Selena, as you were saying, it's so it's such a busy week. There's so much excitement. We can, I mean, almost forget sometimes the other priorities, like getting some rest and nourishing the body in advance of race day. So I think it's almost not even touching on yet what you're about to eat or the things that you need to be paying attention to fluid wise. And it's just allocating that time to plan out what, what the week looks like. And it might even go so far as designating someone to be your point person, you know, kind of analogous to the Garmin beeping at you during the race to check on yourself, check fluids, and So forth is having someone like, did, did you have your lunch today? Um, I mean, the dream would be that we kind of simulate because if we're getting to Kona, we probably have a lot of experience in triathlon racing and Ironman racing for the majority. So it's kind of like, well, let's mimic what we've done with our other races in the days before can, since that can be quite individual as well as in terms of what we're eating and drinking. But to what Marnie was saying earlier, it can be inviting or teasing you to think, yeah, now I'm in Kona. I should be running the water because hello tropics and everything. And it, and it can be, in advance of race day already setting you up for some hyponatremia for over drinking plain water or just over drinking hypotonic fluids and so forth. So I think being very mindful that you don't go to extremes with fluid intake or even your carbohydrate intake. Um, it's We still need to pay attention to these things, but we're not doing extremes just because it's Kona or just because it's our first Kona um, and I think another thought is just some of us women can also have some appetite suppression just with race nerves. I mean, the excitement, the busyness of it all, um, you know, just like, I don't feel like eating. And so just trying to have some when you arrive at Kona or wherever your other races that might be in similar conditions is getting that food. From the store, bringing stuff with you, making easy to eat foods, snacks, smoothies, drinks, whatever it is, so that you're not skimping on your nutrition in the days before.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Um, Does anyone have nutritional thoughts on and this is an open question on jet lag? Um, Go
6: ahead. So I think a lot of athletes who are coming from the East Coast are going to find it a lot easier to go to the West Coast and adjust. Um, it's a lot harder going the other way around. So I think it's actually for those North American athletes going over to Hawaii, um, they may find that it's quite easy to stay up late when you get there or your, your flight's going to land in the evening or late afternoon. You're going to go to the sunsets really early there and rises really early. Um, So I find that it's quite easy to get onto a good schedule. However, any time that you're traveling, you know, multiple time zones. I think it's a good idea to not stick with standard meals, but to think of more mini meals throughout mm. the day so that you're eating small amounts every two to three hours rather than the standard breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, you do need to pay attention to your bowel movements, your digestive system, because it can get a little bit sluggish, especially if you're dehydrated from the flying or just not drinking normally. So you want to get that as regular as you can get as soon as possible. So maybe doing a little jog right when you land doing some exercise the next morning, um, because a lot of athletes are going to be arriving several days out from the race. You can, you know, you might need to get the the fiber back into your diet depending on what you were able to eat throughout the flight. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion is to just think about your digestive system first, Mm -hmm. Um, I think the sleep is going to come more naturally. Try to get on your normal routine. Don't stress your body anymore. Um, but try to think about your stomach, get the, the um, what your body is used to so that it, everything becomes regular.
3: That's great advice because they call that poop um, leg. I've heard it called poop <laughs> leg. <laughs> it's a thing. Um- It is a thing. Um, Natalie, uh, there might be people right now doing sauna protocols, trying to like, you know, acclimate from where they are. Do you have thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, so heat acclimation is one of the best things, um, I mean, maybe a little bit biased, because that's my, (laughs) um, that's my bag. But uh, heat acclimation is one of the best things you can do to prepare um, for performance in uh, these really stressful environments. Um, If you have ever spoken to a financial planner or a accountant about investing, they'll tell you that the best day to start investing was yesterday. And that's the exact same way with heat acclimation. Um, The longer you can do it, the more you can kind of mix it up um, with different kinds of heat acclimation, uh, which I'll touch on in a second, the better. Um, But at the same time, a um, financial planner will also probably tell you that the second best day to start investing is today. And exactly the same. um, If you haven't started getting prepared for the heat yet, any little bit that you can do to expose yourself to the heat um, is beneficial. There's um, what we call active heat acclimation and passive heat acclimation. Active heat acclimation is when you're exercising, you're being active in the heat. Passive heat acclimation is when you're not exercising, you're at rest, and um, you're in a hot environment and you're experiencing that heat stress. So some ways to get um, active heat acclimation are uh, trying to find a um, environmental chamber, which isn't always accessible. And, um, but in, I know in the US, right now in North America, um, we're experiencing a pretty warm uh, autumn. So get outside, um, get exposure to that weather if you can. Um, And the best thing that you can do is get exposure to as close to being the specific conditions that you're going to be racing in. So if you can seek out humid conditions, um, because it's going to be very humid in Kona, um, that's where you want to go. The other option that I talked about is passive heat acclimation. Um, So that can take the form of most commonly things like saunas or hot baths. You can do those on your own um, or on their own, I mean, or you can do them post-exercise. And the logic behind that is that you've already exercised, your body temperature is already warm. So then once you get into the sauna or get into the hot bath, um, you're kind of Getting those adaptations from that hot body temperature right away, instead right. of having to wait for your body to warm up. Um, if you are going to do post-exercise um, acclimation, though, what I would definitely suggest is either some kind of buddy system, again, someone checking in on you. You, we've all stopped exercising and felt that like, um, you know, lightheadedness, uh, which can be even worse when it's hot. So if Uh, You're standing up out of a hot bath and you've gone for a long run. And, um, you know, at that point, you then haven't eaten in three hours. Um, Having someone there to make sure that um, you're doing it safely is going to be really important. Um, If you are going to use a sauna or a hot bath, you want it to be uncomfortable. It's not a fun dip into the sauna, get a little sweat and come out. Um, It is tough. Same with a hot bath. It's not one that you'd be relaxing in. Um, It's turning the hot water, keeping it to a point that is uh, honestly barely tolerable. Um, (laughs) It's not particularly fun. And it's nice to be able, if you can, to kind of mix passive and active heat acclimation because you'll get physiological benefits from both. Um, And there's that really nice convenience of Uh, passive heat acclimation. A lot of people have bathtubs or can find a hot tub or um, their community center or gym might have a sauna. Um, And it might be a little bit harder to find an environmental chamber or if the weather's (laughs) operating outside. Um, But so you have that convenience factor for the passive heat acclimation. And then you have um, the experience of being able to exercise under heat stress um, that you get from the active acclimation. So if you are able to mix those, that's ideal. Um, because a lot of people will also be coming in advance uh, of race day. Um, they'll have some time to experience the weather in Kona. So there's a slight difference, we call that acclimatization. Right. when It's your actual environment that you're, uh, that you're in, not like a simulated uh, or artificial environment. Um, we call the actual environment uh, acclimatization. Um, But yeah, I think the biggest thing with this is just trying to do as much of it uh, as you can in advance. Uh, There's a slight sex difference here again, is that uh, in the timeline of these adaptations. So women tend to take a little bit longer to start to see things like the drop in heart rate that you expect, the drop in core body temperature, um, the feelings, the perceptual uh, differences of feeling like it's not that hot. You also get an increase in your sweat rate um, as well as uh, your blood volume to provide that sweat if you're acclimating for long enough. Um, And your metabolic efficiency should improve as well. So we talked about how your muscles are generating that heat. If they're more efficient, you're not generating quite as much heat for any given power output. Um, So those are all the adaptations that come with heat acclimation that you wanna try to pursue. Um, Things start to happen, at least in men, in about five to seven days. In, it probably takes uh, about 10 to 14 to really see those adaptations start to come through and to translate performance improvements um, but you'll really be able to lock them in after uh, at least a couple of weeks so the sooner
3: Excellent. the better <laughs> start start now everyone get in your metabolic chamber or your hot your heat chamber <laughs> um, Do we have thoughts on hyponatremia? You hear about this in women specifically in these long events. That is open to any
7: thoughts on hyponatremia? Can I jump in on one quick for the the sports dieticians? Can we piggyback on that, which was awesome? And thank you. um, I think we can I speak for the three of us when we say, please bring your uh, electrolyte beverage in to the sauna or the steam room with you. There's no point in sitting there sweating, especially if it's post-workout. Uh, let's get that in. Um and there's no reason to be dehydrated. That's not helping, right? So they can avoid all of the negative effects of why you were saying have a buddy, which is always fun. But let's bring the electrolytes in there, you know, listen to something and be sipping on a, on a drink.
4: Yeah, there's definitely some uh research on whether dehydration as an extra stimulus on top of acclimation is Passive really better. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, I don't think it's quite been decided. Um, so in mm-hmm. the interest of safety, I'd, I'd definitely agree with you um, yeah. that there's not enough evidence, I guess, to recommend um, dehydration in a non-controlled environment.
7: Right. And especially if they did it post-workout. Exactly. Again, yeah, exactly. Um, safety. Thank I just you. would like to add to that.
6: The few days out from race day, don't add extra stress to your body. Um, yes. I hear athletes uh, and you'd be surprised if you've never been to Kona before you may end up with a um, a Airbnb or a condo that doesn't have AC and you're shocked, but many don't there. But I've heard a lot of recommendations. turn off your AC, sleep with the out the AC. Oh, uh, when you finish your workout, stand outside, don't drink anything. You don't just like foods you would not normally eat. You don't want to stress your body you're going to be exercising in the heat. You're naturally going to be, you know, doing your pre-race workouts outside. Um, you're going to have those benefits even in the days before the race, but don't bring that added stress to your body, sleep comfortably, get good rest. You know, you will also need to realize that the, the more heat stress that you have, the less, as, as we heard before, the less appetite you may have. So then you're not eating as well. And then you may end up over drinking. Um, So just make sure that you're going to arrive at your best because that's how you will perform at your best. But it is a great idea to think about that heat protocol going into that
3: race week. Excellent. Great, great, great points, everybody. And if we're all done. Does, does anyone have some thoughts on hyponatremia? Because, you know, that is a problem that, that people run into and they end up in the medical tent.
6: Well, I think women, women, it, research does show that women can be more susceptible to hyponatremia. Um I'll take a little different spin on it, since a lot of my work is with body image and helping athletes with the relationship with food and body. Um, I think sometimes there's a, a taboo that sports nutrition products aren't healthy, that sugar is bad. Um, so sometimes just from what we believe we should should or shouldn't be eating, we're more dri- we Athletes can be more driven to consume low calorie or low sugar drinks or Maybe just the formulation is off that you're, you don't realize that the gels that you're taking only have 25 milligrams of sodium, or maybe you just felt like this has nothing to do with body image. Maybe you felt like you just want plain water and that's what you're craving. So I think we have to be very careful because hyponatremia is extremely serious. Um, there is a risk of death women are more prone to hyponatremia. This is the women only event. Um, so really make sure that your fueling strategy has enough, Mm -hmm. has enough sodium, but also that you're consuming carbohydrates, you're consuming the fluids as well. And it gets really tough when all you want is water or your taste buds are just so over your strategy that you've been doing. Um, so you have to be disciplined. And as we heard earlier, you just have to find that next best option. Um, I advise athletes to, to not drink plain water for more than 10 minutes at a time. So if you're going you know, one aid station to the next aid station and all you're drinking is water, we need to have another option, whether it's a lick of salt, you know, a swish mm-hmm. of Coke, whatever it is, but try to get something else in so it's not just plain water. And please don't guzzle water because it's so easy, especially if you're not bringing hydration with you, which we heard earlier about having those options on you. But if you don't have hydration with you on the run, you know, and the first aid station, I think is 1.3 miles. So for some athletes that could be depending on your run, walk strategy, that could be 15 minutes. That could be 20 minutes. You could end up at that aid station. So thirsty. And then you're drinking tons of water. So Mm-hmm. I I I have to tell athletes a lot that you have to be sometimes a little bit disciplined not to over drink water as much as you're craving it um, to make sure that you you don't end up um, diluting your sodium stores.
3: Great point, Dana. Do you have yeah, thoughts? Okay. You look like you have.
5: No, I was just thinking of the day or two before that inkling, just seeing like, oh, the big gallons of water jugs and all that. And so just similar in the foods that we might be eating, if we're if it's saltable foods, we can throw a little salt on if it's not already salty, or uh, just you know using um, maybe other you know beverages like Marnie was saying, it's okay to do that in the day or two before. Um, and then there is that concept of hyperhydration. I don't know if we're delving into that at all, but some sodium loading may be effective for. Certain athletes, certain. Can you talk athletes. about that a little
3: bit? Because I've always actually done very well with that.
5: Yeah, I mean i I do see benefit with um, female athletes, especially in higher hormone phase. But again, this you know you still have to personalize this to the athlete and their sweat rates and everything. But it it can look like an increase in sodium in like the night before. Kona might be your your twelve hours before. Um, your beverage, you know, it's, it's like a concentrated solution and we can make it from scratch or use some products out there. Um, but it may look like, you know, 750 milligrams of sodium in your 20 or 24 ounce bottle. Some women may do a little bit more, twice that. Again, it, it it's hopefully something we have practiced and yeah. um, not doing it brand new. Um, but that can just help with boosting plasma volume, kind of slowing that dehydration process that will naturally occur. Um, But at least we're starting in a a little bit more hydrated state.
3: Excellent.
7: And the the old school way, because I've been doing this both as a sports dietitian and athlete a long time, and these products weren't available. And also, if you're like, I've never heard of this salt loading, nothing new on race day, go get yourself some soup, pick your favorite Mm -hmm. soup. The broth is easy to take in. I have a lot of athletes, either for hot races or later start races. Um, if you think you can, you can take in some broth in the morning. You bring those little cup of soups. You're really not going for the soup. We're just looking for salty broth. So any, I don't care if it's vegetarian or beef or chicken. It doesn't matter. Salty yeah. broth. If you can drink some of that, super easy. Um, and Peggy, backing quickly off of what Marnie said. I think a lot of what we do in the sports nutrition world hopefully is also think about what is the best for all of us as overall people. And in terms of that pre-race, those few days before, um, really think of liberalizing whatever you think are healthy foods or unhealthy foods. We could get into that topic for another day. Can we just please suspend all of that? Because for the few days before Kona, this is not when we're thinking about which are all important our cholesterol and the family history of the thing and the other thing this is all just like i have trained really hard i am here in hawaii this is awesome what do my muscles need what does my gut need so what is the carbs like before a race i did a big swim run bike event um i had mashed potatoes on top of pizza and that was weird <laughs> but i was in cape cod and everyone was eating fish and i wanted the fish and i was like the fish will not help me tomorrow morning Like, what do you have? Like we have pizza. I'm like mashed potatoes. Okay. So just don't be swayed by what anyone else is eating. Everyone's going to be amazing. You're amazing. You're there. You're in Kona. You qualified, make it fun, but liberalize whatever you think. If like rice is working for you, put the soy sauce on the rice, eat a lot of rice. If it's bread, buy a loaf of bread and snack on the bread, you know, figure out whatever you can do to get in the carbs, get in the salt, there's no exact way, as we've all said. There's no one way to do this. There's no right way to do this. Uh, just do the best you can.
5: Except maybe hold on the Mai ties until after the race. <laughs> <laughs> and
7: they have very good Mai Tais.
3: Other there. than that, mm. <laughs> the only thing I wanted when I was done, I'm like, I'm not hungry. I don't want it with that Mai Tai. It looks delicious.
7: Um, you can have that yeah. with the fish and the salad and whatever you want afterwards. Yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> we have a couple of moments if there are any audience questions. Um, otherwise, I will. Ask one more question, and that would be: Where does the Coke come in? Like Coca-Cola is yeah. on course; it seems great. You know, is can you? It seems like you could overdo it. Um, you know, is there are there rules about when to grab that Coke when you're like dying and it's so hot?
6: Well, I can speak from experience, and I can also speak from helping athletes. You know, I from a science perspective, Coke shouldn't work because of the osmolality, the concentration. Mm-hmm um but i've used it athletes use it and um i i don't think that there's an exact reason why athletes like it but i think it could be the different taste the sugar the caffeine the the texture of it something completely different um i would inc- i i know a lot of athletes say well don't start coke too early because then you have that. to keep going with it I, I don't think that's necessarily true. Maybe if from experience, if some athletes feel like, oh my gosh, once I had the Coke, it, like nothing else worked after that. Um, but it can be refreshing to have just something different. And, you know, our brain and our stomach, everything's connected. So if our brain gets a pick me up from, oh my gosh, that tasted amazing. It's, it's amazing how things can just switch automatically. And maybe you can go back to your strategy again, it's better than nothing. It's better than plain water. Um, so I think having it, but not using it as your primary source, not <laughs> filling all your bottles with Coke, um, because it's not going to deliver the electrolytes. Um, it's a lot of caffeine if if that's all that you're using. Um, but I don't see anything wrong with athletes having a little bit of Coke throughout the race. And I often say, and from my own experience, that there's going to come a point in the race that it kind of becomes survival. Like just let's get to that finish line. Hopefully that doesn't come at mile one of the run or (laughs) on the bike. But if we've done a good job fueling and hydrating for the majority of the race and you're getting to mile 12 or 13, you're out on the queen K or you're getting to the energy lab and you're like, you know what Coke it is for the rest or sports drink or Pretzels or broth or whatever it is, at that point, you're probably not going to do much damage to your body because at at that point, your body's already experienced so much. You're just trying to keep yourself moving. But if you deviate from your plan very early in the race, you haven't really given your body an opportunity to stay in a healthy place for very long. So the short answer is yes, use the Coke if you feel like it works for you. but I don't think that it should be your primary source of nutrition throughout the race.
3: That's fair.
4: Uh, I am going to add a little bit onto that, just that um, to uh, firstly completely, completely mirror that the uh, the idea that a little bit is probably fine. Um, but if you're drinking coke throughout the whole um, race, you also have the factor of um, in the U S the high fructose corn syrup that's in Coca-Cola and that's not awesome for your kidneys, um, which are already really uh, putting in a shift with an Man and an Man in the heat. Um, so yeah, there, are, it seems there are a few reasons to maybe avoid it as your primary source of hydration. Um,
6: yeah, I think it does myriad <laughs> <done on> <laughs>
3: reasons to avoid it as your primary source, and but you a little bit yeah.
6: for you. Um, yeah. because some athletes say, no, it doesn't work for me. Um, I, I would caution not to, because when I done Kona, I remember a few times they had it in bottles on the bike course. Um, I would I would encourage athletes to wait till the run, um, yeah. just because you're a little bit more grounded, you're towards the end of the race. Um, I think that's a better time to be sipping on the Coke.
3: Excellent. Well, we are at the top of the hour, and uh, I think we have... Filled it with great information. I appreciate everybody's wisdom and thank you for sharing it. I don't know if I'm supposed to close this out myself or if any of my teammate is going to cl- <laughs> <laughs> help me close it out. I can close it out. They tell me. All right. So, so I will, um, I will be heading to Kona myself next week. I hope to see you all there. If you see me come up and say hi. And I really, 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 really appreciate all four of our panelists, if we can just show them some love, that would be great because um, it's so nice to have this kind of expertise at our fingertips. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's always
4: fun. Thanks, Celine.